นโมตัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมตัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมตัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังขังนามสังสมทัยมิโกเวนไอวิสอ way on One of my travels, walking, walking along a beach, actually, a nice, quiet stroll along the beach, and then this uh, chap approached me, all bright-eyed and enthusiastic, and I thought, "Oh, here we go again." He says, "What do you believe?" I very quickly responded, saying, "Well, Buddhists believe in not making a problem out of anything. What do you believe?" So then he started telling me what he believes, which took him quite a while, and I had to practice not making a problem out of that, <laughs> which was good, because uh, it made me reflect actually that uh, my answer was I actually <laughs> I felt very pleased with that. I thought that was a good answer. Actually, that's that's basically what Buddhists believe. We believe in not making a problem out of things, and I, I thought quite a lot about that afterwards, and. I sometimes still say that. If people ask, "What do Buddhists believe?" They say, well, we believe in not making a problem out of things, and it's not just a glib answer. Although the first time I said it to that uh, evangelical fundamentalist on the beach, it might have been a bit flippant. It's also true, and the way in which it's true is worth contemplating, and because what it, what it comes down to is is really acknowledging, as I was saying in the Introduction to the meditation: that there aren't problems, actually, unless we create them. But that's not usually our experience. We, most of us get around feeling like we've got all sorts of problems. But the Buddha didn't have any problems. The Buddha is a human being, like all of us. He lived in this world just like we did, and ate food, and you know, got diarrhea from bad food, and. Had arthritis in his back when he got old, and had troublesome, recalcitrant, irritating monks to live with, and had to deal with these situations. But he said he didn't have any problems, and I'm sure he's telling the truth. He had no problems. So what's the difference? He had difficulties. There's no question about that, as we have difficulties. But there's a big difference. There's a world of difference between difficulties and problems, and. It's important that we are clear about that, at least as far as Buddhists are concerned. Because if we're not clear about that, we somehow think that there are inherent problems, that life is a problem, you know, that such and such a person is a problem, or I've got a health problem. And I looked up the word problem in the Oxford Dictionary, and and a problem is a difficulty that you feel you have to solve. It's a difficulty. It's something that's difficult to solve, and so there's always a, a, a struggle and a challenge when you've got a problem. And it's not difficult to create problems. In fact, there's one stage in my life I realized that I am capable of making a problem out of absolutely anything, even when everything is really, really nice, really nice. I mean, really agreeable. Nice beach. You know, nice sun. I can still make a problem out of that. Yeah. 
any situation my mind is capable of making a problem out of. And in fact, I think I had to admit that I'm a compulsive problem creator up until that point. That was some time ago. Unfortunately, I've learned a few things. And, and I do feel that that um, the approach that Buddhism offers us is a skillful, very skillful way of training our minds, actually training our minds to see just where and how it is that we create the problems that we feel we've got to solve. You know, as I said, I was a compulsive problem creator. Like, if there's no problem, I'd create a problem out of not having a problem. There must be something wrong because I'm not, there's no problems. And I would start worrying, you know, living in a monastery. I'd wake up in the morning, glorious, sunny day, lovely, and everything's nice and quiet. And I'd start worrying and I'd create a problem. There must be a problem. Somebody must be doing something. And it was a habit. It was an addiction, actually, an addiction to, to creating problems. It's quite a challenging contemplation to accept that, from the Buddhist perspective, there are no problems in life. We don't actually have any problems. We only have difficulties that, if we're not careful, we can turn into problems. It's quite a challenge because the responsibility rests with us for that. And that is, again, that's, that's what we're asked to do. And that's the teaching example of all the great teachers throughout time is to to remind us that, well, you actually have complete responsibility for this. Yes, you can't stop the certain difficulties in life which you just can't avoid. You're going to get old, which is, you know, not probably altogether fun. You know, you're going to start losing your memory. You're going to see all your friends dying. And, and then to some degree, you're going to get sick, at least to some degree. And then you're going to die and lose everything. And, and that's difficult. You know, it's bound to be difficult on some level. But it doesn't have to be a problem. There's only a problem if what? What is it? What is it that creates the problems in our lives? So in the introduction to the meditation, I was pointing out that you know, when you decide that this busy, active mind that is driven to be thinking, thinking, thinking all the time and, and speculating and proliferating and dragging up old memories and worrying about the future that this is tedious and and it'd be much nicer if we didn't have to put up with this. They so say, okay, well, I'm going to, this Buddhist meditation says, if you just sit there, sit still, relax, and watch your breath, that eventually the mind will quieten down and become still. That's all you've got to do. And so you start to do it, and then you find the mind wanders and starts thinking, you know, I shouldn't be thinking. I shouldn't have forgotten my meditation object. And that creates a problem. In that moment, we've created the problem. Actually, in the moment where we realized that the mind had drifted and wandered and started thinking of things, in that moment, in that moment, actually, we're okay. In that moment where we remember, we're okay. There's not a problem. In fact, that's good news. When the mind wanders off and gets caught up in something we remember, that's good news. That's good. That's what's supposed to happen. But then, if on top of that we go and say, oh, it shouldn't, I shouldn't have... I shouldn't have forgotten. I should. Yeah. We've created the problem in that moment, and that's. But if we are, if we do have such an experience, we're sitting still, quiet on our own, or with others, and we see that happening. That's a good thing to see. Now, again, if we come and say, "Oh, I shouldn't be creating problems," well, of course, we've created another problem. We're saying we shouldn't create problems. So, as has been said over and over and over and over again. That the Buddha and everybody else, that 
mindfulness is the skill. Mindfulness overcomes all things. With mindfulness, there is this mindfulness, this watchfulness. The Buddha talked about as being like the gatekeeper or or the doorman, the person who stands there watching over what comes and goes and just keeping an eye on things because maybe there's some crooks around wanting to get in and nick your stuff and you know, the doorman's there watching, keeping an eye on things and lets people in and doesn't let them in and that's the doorman's job. This is the this is the function of spiritual life, this is the function of of mindfulness. The what that that which watches and keeps an eye on things. If we hone down mindfulness, if we really cultivate train the mind with his watchfulness, consistently watching, well then we start to see these habits. We start to see how a difficulty arises, whether it's the wandering mind in meditation or whether it's somebody being irritating. Maybe you've got somebody in your workplace that just being a nuisance. Maybe you've got somebody in your workplace who's being dishonest or or not turning up on time or, or whatever and and that's 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 frustrating and disappointing to have somebody like that around. It's difficult, but if we're watchful, if we're watchful, we can see where something comes into the mind and says, "I don't want it like this. I don't want it like this. I don't want this person to be this way. I want this person to be completely different. In fact, I want this person out of here. That's really what I want. I just want them to get lost. <laughs> that's a problem." We, but we created the problem. Now the person being difficult, or the situation being difficult, that's just so. There's always going to be difficulties. But there's a point where difficulty turns into a problem, and that point is, where is that point? It's where we start wanting it to be otherwise. Now even that's not subtle enough, even that's not accurate enough, because you can't stop wanting things to be otherwise either. I mean, you know, it's like you want somebody to to uh, be happy it's perfectly understandable you want you want somebody to if you're trying to explain something to somebody and and you want them to understand you want them to to feel good about themselves and, and you and they don't want if they don't do what they need to do to start feeling good about themselves or to change their life or to stop doing whatever it is that's creating all their problems and they don't do it well there's nothing wrong with you wanting them to be happy is there or wanting people to understand, or wanting situations to change, or wanting your mind to be more clear and conscious and focused and calm and so on. Even the wanting is not the problem. What is the problem? It's the way that we want. It's the way that we want. Because there are different ways of wanting. You can experiment with this. It's very easy. Like, again, going back to the example of the workplace, where somebody irritating or even downright obnoxious that you've, you, you've got to be with you know, so long as they're not actually hitting you or you know, they just you know maybe they just smell bad or something <laughs> some people don't wash very often or <laughs> whatever you know something irritating about them and, but you get to the point where you can see well I can want them to be otherwise but I don't have to demand that things be otherwise now it's a bit more subtle but it's really important it's 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 profoundly important because, as I said, we can't stop wanting things to be otherwise. We can't stop wanting life to be different. But how we want is the skill. How we want. You can want... I was talking to somebody the other day. We were driving along and he was driving and, and uh, we were trying to talk about this very point. 
I said, well, it's like, you know, he was, had the hands in here, I said, it's like you can drive, you know, holding your steering wheel like this, where you're really clenching it, and you can't drive it very far like that without getting very tired. And also, you end up having accidents, because you know, you're so rigid, you're holding the steering wheel too tightly. It's important to hold the steering wheel. You know, I don't like these people who pick up their mobile phone and then change gear and let go of the steering wheel. I don't like that. I, I don't feel safe when people do that. You know, I have to restrain myself from pointing out there's a law against you know, the phone, and you're supposed to have your hands on the steering wheel. So I don't think I don't think that it's right to let go of the steering wheel. I think it's right to hold on to the steering wheel, but it's how you hold on to the steering wheel that makes the difference. You can hold on to the wheel quite lightly. In fact, there are sometimes you can even just do it with one hand. One finger is just that might be cool, but it's not very good. You see people sometimes just one finger <laughs> driving across the desert or something, just one finger, or put it on cruise control and just. <laughs> no, that's going too far. But holding it too tightly is going too far. It's how we hold it. How we hold it determines the outcome. Just as I said with the meditation, how we hold the meditation practice determines the outcome. How we hold our desires determines the outcome. Wanting people to be different, wanting ourselves to be different, wanting life to be different is understandable and suitable. It's a motivating force. It's an influence in, in, in change. But if we don't want it in the right way, we create a problem. In other words, if we want with grasping, that's the wrong way, if we want with grasping, holding too tightly, that's where the problem comes from. And this applies to everything, actually. And if we start to see this, we get a feeling for this, we say, well, actually, the way to solve problems in life is just to hold life more lightly. That's the way to solve problems in life. When we hold life more lightly, well, then the body is relaxed and the mind is clear. Like I said in the meditation, you know, you you can be clear and calm and still be focused. It's how we hold the attention on something that makes a difference. And if we start to get a feeling for this, well, we don't have to always feel like we've got to get our own way. We don't have to succeed all the time. We can have the aspiration to succeed. Like wanting to do the right thing. If you're having a, you've got to point something difficult out to somebody. Somebody needs to hear something. I say, well, how do I tell this person what they need to hear? I want to tell them they need to hear, but if I tell them right now what they're going to hear is more than they really need to hear, you know, it's not going to help them if I tell them what I feel. And when I feel like this, maybe you feel angry or something. You know? Or you feel driven to tell them. So first we inhibit that compulsiveness and say, well, can I choose to not tell them? When we know we can choose to not say something, well then we're approaching being in a position where we can actually responsibly say something. But even then we can still think about it a bit more skillfully, a bit more carefully. And just look at this, this feeling of, of wanting to tell somebody something. Yeah. We can really work on it and prepare ourselves and think, well I'll say this and they'll say that and then I'll say this and I'll say that. And so I've got to get it right, I've got to get it right, I mustn't get this wrong. If I get this wrong, it'll be a disaster. And so we can prepare ourselves. I mean, maybe some of you have been through this, you can really prepare yourself, or for an interview, or some sort of difficult engagement, you can prepare yourself. You sit there and you go over and you go over and over and over and over it. Well, it's understandable that you're wanting to get it right. It's suitable that we want to get it right, isn't it? That's, that's normal. But if we're holding that wanting too tightly, what happens when we find ourselves in that situation? We blow it. 
We just blow it. It's just if something blurts out all wrong, or there's no, because what? Because we're holding that wanting so tightly, we get caught up in delusion. We forget ourselves. When we're preparing for something, we lose our touch with here and now. We lose our touch with the fact that we're just preparing. This is not the interview, or this is not the discussion. This is not the whatever that's ahead of us. This is right here now, just preparing something. If we're just holding our wanting lightly, no problem. That's no problem. In fact, that can be very skillful, just to run through it lightly, carefully, but aware, here and now, this moment. This is preparation. This is not there then. This is now. So with this groundedness here and now, and a feeling awareness of here and now, yes, we can want, we can plan, but we're holding the wanting lightly. If we do that, well, that makes a profound difference. That's very different. Because then when we meet the person and we say what we have to say, or we... uh, have the interview or whatever, we're all there. Just as when we're preparing, we're all here. When that happens, we're still all here. We're not just caught up in our fear of getting it wrong. Now, when we hold things too tightly, what happens is, what is the tightness doing? What's the other side of that wanting to get it right? What's the other side of it? Is the fear of getting it wrong. If we want something too much, then actually we create all this fear of not getting it. So there's a way, if there's mindfulness, if there's skillfulness, if we train ourselves to be very careful, to be very consistent in our mindful wanting, well then there's a shift in understanding about wanting. The whole way we feel about desire changes. And then the whole way we feel about problems change. Actually, there's not a problem in life. Life is not a problem. It's very easy to feel like life's a problem, you know, politically, ecologically, relationships. So that's really a problem. Well, if, we, if we're really disciplined, we just say, well, is it really a problem or am I making it a problem? The truth is, in actuality, I'm making it a problem. It may be inherently difficult, disagreeable, and hard to take. That's, that could be true. But it doesn't have to be a problem. We do make problems, and we make problems by the way that we relate to things. So if we relate to them with grasping, then we're not there for it. We're not actually seeing what's happening. We we create all this all this negative feeling about the situation and lose clarity, lose confidence. So in terms of the daily life practice that we're all engaged in and coming to to uh, a more confident relationship with the, the predicaments we find ourselves in. I'd like to encourage us all to just just remember at the moment when we think, oh, this is really a problem. Just to stop from and say, well, is it really a problem? Or what is the nature of the problem? Say, yes, it's difficult. This pain in my ankle is really difficult. It stops me from walking and I put on too much weight. And, and that's, a, that's, that's a difficulty because I don't want it to be that way. But if I get lost in wanting it to be otherwise, well, then I create a problem, which then I've got to solve. Sometimes, you know, feeling like you've got a problem to solve can give you a feeling of importance. You know, always having to solve a problem can make you feel like somebody. And that's, that was what was behind my feeling before when I, I realized I'm a, I was a compulsive problem creator. I felt terribly important when I had a problem to solve. And if there wasn't any problems to solve, well, I'd create one just so I could feel like somebody. Yeah. Feel like I'm somebody who's got a problem to solve. I must be important. 
But when you haven't got any problems to solve, you realize the truth, which is you're nobody, actually. <laughs> We're not that important, actually. I mean, you don't even have to feel important, you can just be. You just be what you are, just be happy. Yeah. But instead of just being happy, what do we do? We go run around creating problems. What a terrible mistake. Completely unnecessary. So thank you very much for your attention this evening. Thank <laughs> you.